0: Whoa, what a privilege to be here. A lot of emotion for me because Valentine's Day uh, yesterday, so I'd really have preferred to be with my wonderful wife in London. It was on Valentine's Day 56 years ago. Boy, that dates me big time that we announced our engagement. We'd already got engaged, but we had to keep it a secret because her family wasn't too hot on the whole idea. And so, uh, Valentine's Day 56 years ago, which means we celebrated recently 55 years of uh, marriage. God sent us as missionaries. Yeah. God sent us as missionaries. I didn't believe in honeymoons because it cost too much. So, we went right to Mexico and started bookstores and started this ministry. It already started when we were students as I had gone to Mexico when I was only 19 from Maryville College before I transferred to Moody Bible Institute. So it's a very uh, emotional time for me. I'm just so thankful. I've known about your church and so thankful for your support of different aspects of O.M. Donaldson's there in Dubai, where I go almost every year. I get free dental work there. And... uh, the walkers. I don't think you can begin to measure the impact of the walkers here in their ministry locally as well as globally. Teen Street. Uh, we're limited in time as I could just start talking about all kinds of things. But God's put on my heart to share with you just seven words. You know, here in America, uh, we, we are on information overload. It's also certainly true in, in London where I live. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm sort of dreaming and hoping you might be able to remember something. Uh, from this morning. So I put it in this form of of seven words and I'm going to try to encourage you if you've got your laptop or your little magic computer telephone to just uh, punch in these seven words. They're all dynamic biblical words. They're all words that represent concepts. So we're talking about seven concepts and I just have had terrific feedback from different uh, churches. Took about 250 meetings last year in 27 different nations. And uh, I often spend six, seven hours a day in prayer over the emails that come in from people that were in these meetings and made various kinds of commitments. This morning, uh, you probably after a season might forget some of the message, but you will not forget the greatest opportunity maybe ever to get books completely free. We love to give away books. I gave away 200,000 last year. And as you go out, you'll find this tremendous book table. There's my own book out of the comfort zone. Um, It's gone out about 40 languages. It doesn't really sell that well. So that's why we give it away out of the comfort. (laughs) And one of the chapters in in the back of this book is one of the words in our message this morning. You probably already know about this, the Jesus DVD. Millions have come to Christ through this film when we showed it with teams using 18 millimeter projectors. The shift into DVD, even in the video before this, did not go well. People didn't grasp that you could get these free by the thousands and give them as tracks. This is the hottest evangelistic tool in America today. And in New York City, they've really captured this trying to give a copy to every single immigrant in New York City. The Canadians are way ahead of us. But uh, at least pick up a sample. These are available in multi-language, 15 languages on each DVD in this great cosmopolitan uh, area of Houston. And this just was, there just more time to talk about it. I'm pioneering this in a number of nations working with Campus Crusade and Agape. There's one of my favorite books. Probably in the top five books in my life, Grace Awakening. Some of the books are available on a donation only because we don't have enough. People thought we already shipped too many books here. Um, So that one and a few of the others like Dalit Freedom Network. I wish we had an hour to talk about that. One of our most crucial ministries is among the Dalits of India. You need to know who they are. One quarter of a billion people, quarter of a billion people are living as in a form of slavery. They're untouchables. And when you read that book, it will blow your circuits that this is going on. This is the apartheid of this day. This is the segregation of this day. This is the slavery of this day. And yet, because it's so distant, people can't easily relate to it. So pick up that book. There's a great book about dealing with sexual struggles, the number one struggle in my life. There's a brilliant book on the whole uh, pro-life issue even people who believe in abortion, and I live in the heartland of abortion in London, England. They're saying this has gone too far. And yet many Christians aren't saying anything who don't believe, supposedly don't believe in abortion. Wish I had an hour to talk to you about that. So my hope, and that's one I got is completely free. That's a book about revival. That's one of my seven words uh, by Roy Hessian. There's another one of my own books. These are three individual books I wrote. They never sold. So they put them all together. Red hot. Three for one. Still doesn't sell. So take it. I don't want to see them again. (laughs) Drops from a leaking tap is my latest book. And uh, Operation World is the book that I think helped put OM on the map. As we uh, published this years ago, together with WEC, a prayer diary on every nation in the world. So, please, just slow down a little bit. I know, Texas, you're all like in the fast lane. I mean, it's just unreal here. You compete with London, where I live. Uh, but if you could slow down and pick up at least a couple of books, as some of them are free. Of course, the main book in any meeting like this is the Word of God. And I want you to turn uh, to the book of Acts, chapter twenty. Picking up at verse 19, I hope you're a Book of Acts person. It was very special to be here at the dedication of these little children because um, I was at my own dedication. And I can't remember anything about it. My father was not even a believer. Uh, It was not not in a church where there was much... uh, commitment or reality or a proclamation of the gospel, but somehow uh, I was dedicated as a little baby. Do you think God knew about that? Do you think that may be one of the reasons? Later on at 16 in a Billy Graham meeting in New York City, 50 years ago, this March 3rd, God invaded me and saved me and sent me that very night into global missions. So let's pray for the families and the The little ones that we just uh, saw dedicated. My own three children were dedicated by one of the most wild evangelists, church planters in the history of the church. Buck Singh of India. A very long meeting. uh, Several hours. I popped out, I think, for a cup of tea to survive. But he dedicated all three of, uh, of our children. We have three children. And then we got into the grandchildren thing. Do any of you have grandchildren? That's overwhelming. And um, Tony Campalo says, grandchildren is, you know, God's prize to you for not killing off your own kids. (laughs) I don't think he actually got that um, from the Bible. (laughs) The book of Acts, chapter 19, describes the reality of discipleship, which is my first word this morning. Because I know you're a church that's into discipleship. And I love it. And I know that God is using your church in a phenomenal way. Serve the Lord with great humility. With tears. Just gotta I'm waiting for my new glasses. So I have to hold my glasses up to read this small print. Serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful for to, you, to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Some call that 2020 vision. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what happened to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, this became my life first as a young believer. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Isn't that a tremendous, motivating passage? I hope you know how, I'm sure you do, to allow a passage of Scripture to motivate you. I have to confess, I've never had a non-motivating day since Jesus took over my life And my main focus every day was to walk with him and to feed upon his word. I was still in the fire extinguisher business, setting up agents across the country, a baby Christian. And I met a woman uh, who challenged me on the subject of baptism. And so I got into the book of Acts, which had so many passages about baptism. I read the whole book that night, and that led me later to be baptized as an adult But especially God gave me this verse. This is one of dozens of passages about radical discipleship, total commitment to Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Verses right from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. If any person come after me, let him deny self, take up the cross and follow me. One of the reasons many of our wonderful, amazing American churches are in difficulty is they don't preach discipleship. They don't preach the cross. They make all kinds of promises and there's a lot of blessing and a lot of great music. And of course, God can work in the midst of that. We'll get to that later when I talk about my one of my own words that I invented myself. But if we throw out concepts like Galatians 2 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ liveth within me. Already, it's 15 years of age. I was being sucked into the world of pornography. I think if God had not saved me that next year in that Billy Graham meeting, that I would have ended up in some kind of maybe sexual addiction. And I believe with all my heart, this enormous amount of moral failure Even among leaders here in Britain, and we have, I mean, in Britain as well as here, is partly linked. I don't want to give simple answers, but it's partly linked with this lack of of what we just read about. Living for Jesus, it's rough and it's tough. The only way you can do it is deal with a self-life, whether it's lust or envy or jealousy or wrong attitudes or lack of love or impatience. Another one of my top five, ten struggles You've got to deal with it in the power of the living Jesus. And as we break bread here and worship the Lord through the breaking of bread, if as we pray and as we receive the bread, we're not ready to deal with a self-life, it becomes a farce. It becomes a ritual. And we have churches with ritual all over the world with every kind of sinful behavior going on in the church at the same time, almost beyond comprehension. Mind you, I've only had 60 years counseling people uh, who are in that kind of difficulty. Discipleship is the first word that I leave with you. And I hope you, I know you already embrace it, but I hope you will embrace it even more. The second word I leave with you is this word grace. One of my favorite expressions is radical discipleship without radical grace is a dead end street. That's why I would almost beg of you to pick up this book by Charles Swindoll, Grace Awakening. As a young, new Christian, I, I could have lost my way. Let me just share my story very quickly of how salvation by grace came to me. First of all, I was a very happy child. I had a wonderful family. Um, never had an unhappy day as a kid. I had a big ego and was like being elected president of the student council, was active in sports, you got the God and country award in the Boy Scout movement. I want to join the Girl Scouts, but that you weren't allowed. And uh, I was just really doing fine when a meddling older woman came into my life, a woman of prayer. If you want to live a selfish life, avoid those kind of women. Don't sit next to them. Don't. You know, I'd broken into a house. The police had caught me in this house. I'm from New Jersey, by the way, born in Patterson. And um, she heard about me. I wasn't stealing, actually. I was just looking around, but the police had other ideas. And so people started talking about me, and she put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list. Not only did she pray, not only did she pray that I would become a Christian, She prayed, I would become a missionary. She's what a lot of people would call like a missionary fanatic. You know, prayer letters, prayer meetings, always pestering you about how much you're giving to missions or whether you're going to go on a short-term trip. And she would be thought of as extreme. You know, when God does a great work, often he uses extreme people. Maybe later on they have to come into balance, certainly true in my life, and had to learn more about that radical grace. She then sent me a gospel of John through the post. The same time I started into the world of pornography, I started to read this gospel of John, which was like a spiritual uh, piece of dynamite. And that prepared me for this one night, not a crusade, one night meeting with Billy Graham, was a speaker of the Jack Wurtston Word of Life anniversary. A business person gave me a free seat. This was not my thing. But somehow, I went in that meeting, I heard the gospel. 20,000 people, Madison Square Garden, two years before the famous crusade, which ended in Yankee Stadium. And I heard about grace. You're saved by grace. I thought, because I was a churchgoer in a liberal church that didn't believe the Bible, I thought it was all works, and I wasn't doing too well. And that night, I was born from above. There may be someone here. And you maybe think of yourself as a seeker. You may think of yourself as someone that's not really come to have that gift of salvation. This morning could be the greatest morning in your life. That was the greatest day in my life. March 3rd in the evening, 1955. And it's been a reality every single day. I've had miserable minutes. I've had miserable hours. I was challenged by that verse, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. And that was another one of my top ten problems. And so I made a commitment to holiness, to deal with sin before the sun went down. Living in Britain, it's a lot easier in the summertime, I'll tell you, than in the winter. But uh, God is merciful. But we're not just saved by grace. And that's why I like Swindoll's book. We then live a grace-awakened life. That's tied in with 1 Corinthians 13. If you memorize only one passage of Scripture in your life, and memorizing Scripture was one of the biggest things that transformed my life as a teenager, memorize 1 Corinthians 13. But I had a lot of struggles. My big struggle uh, was, was not really firstly pornography. It was just romance. I was just going cuckoo over so many different girls, 32 different girls before I was 17. Blew the romantic circuits out of my head. Now I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Of course, together with the romance, my biggest pastime next to basketball and a few sports was kissing girls. So now I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in a whole new world and I met a lot of strange people. One of them told me no more kissing. What in the world have I got into? Billy Graham didn't say anything about that in a message. And so I was struggling. I needed a clear verse. And I looked, you know, like the 11th commandment, thou shall not kiss. I never found it. So, boy, I kept kissing everything available. And um, w- once I led a girl to Jesus, and then I kissed her for an hour there underst- under the Washington Memorial in Washington, D.C. Then another girl, I was necking up a storm. That's an old expression in the in church parking lot. And then another time I was in a car and the the police caught us necking away in the car. And I backed up in the wrong way. The car went in a ditch. And her father found out it was a complete mess. And I thought, how can God ever use a character like me? And though I give you seven words, if you want an overall theme, if you like things just summarized, why I believe God has put me in Houston, Texas, just for a few hours, literally a few hours, maybe 15 or 20 God wants to use you. You're going to know at the end of my little talk here that God uses all kinds of people. Because despite my struggles and my failures, especially as a young Christian, somehow God used me. In fact, in our high school, we started prayer meetings. People started getting converted. It was an ungodly school, often with a third of the students Drunk. That lady had been praying for that school for 15 years, and like a mini revival took place. One meeting where I went back from university at Christmas break, hundreds came to the meeting. 125 stood to believe on Jesus, including my own father, the son of an atheist. My dad came over from the Netherlands. God saved me, and God sent me that night. But there were lots of struggles, lots of problems. Also, A big thing in my life was dancing. You know, I'm an Elvis Presley, Haley in the Comets, rock around the clock kind of person. I was known to be one of the best dancers in the high school. If I couldn't find girls, I'd dance with brooms. And then I met a Christian. Hey, you can't dance anymore. What are you out of your mind? And so there were a lot of questions and a lot of struggles and a lot... A lot of the people I met, even in the church, they seemed to be, some of them seemed to be like hypocrites. And some of them were just a pain in the neck. And God gave me the, you know, I developed my own prayer. Thank you, Lord, I'm not a giraffe. But uh, somehow I made it through those early years. And I want to encourage any of you who are young Christians, no matter how filled we are with the Holy Spirit, we are incredibly human. We do fail. We do let people down. Things do go wrong, and especially when we're young Christians. We're, we have 1,000 people now working among Muslims. We're talking about more Muslims coming to Jesus than ever before, but you need the other side of the coin. Most of them have enormous struggles in their early years following Jesus. Many of them turn back. We've got 58 years' involvement with them. And so one of my passions is what Swindoll brings out in his book, Grace awakening, forgiving, forgiving yourself. Even later on as a Christian leader once, a pornographic magazine hanging in the woods. It it just blew me away. I wish I could, somebody had used this porno, a very expensive magazine as target practice. It just caught me off guard. I was doing very well in that area. I wish I could give you my victorious life testimony. You know, I just saw that magazine in the woods. It was in London. And in the name of Jesus, zap, and it disappeared. You know, we're into miracles. Instead, the magazine made a fool of me. And when you fail in the area of lust, you feel ten times worse than when you fail in other areas. I failed in the area of lack of love. That's a big thing. I failed in the area of impatience. I failed in the area of irritability. It was very destructive in the early time in my marriage But somehow I handle it, you know, a quick repentance, Lord, you forgive. But when you fail in the sexual area, somehow Satan knows how to just crunch you down. And one of the things that's broken my heart the most, as I look back at these almost 60 years of following him, are young men, sometimes women, but young men who give up because they fail in the sexual area in the early days, sometimes later on. I want to encourage you, embrace radical grace. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, sin not, my goal every day. Second part of the verse, if you sin, we do sin. We will sin all of our lives, hopefully less and less. Hopefully more strength in the Lord will enable us to resist temptation. That's my own experience, but we will sin. He loves us. He forgives us. I know probably you already have this message, but I want to ask you, are you promoting this message Because our country is still in the grip of a law of legalism. Many churches are in the grip of a law of legalism. You may not know that in a grace-awakened church like this. But in my own study, in my own experience, my heart breaks. It actually leads some people to commit suicide. And the suicide rate among professing believers is one of the scariest things in the planet today. And often... It's often linked with depression, and I don't have a simple answer to that. But I've seen people helped and brought through that. But more, it's linked with a failure to understand radical grace. Radical grace. Discipleship. Grace. My third word is mercy. I'm writing a new book following up on my book, Drops from a Leaking Tap. I'd really love you to pick up that Drops book. And get ready for my sequel, which will be better than that one. And maybe if you email me, because I really get fed up with writing. I don't feel I'm a writer. So I've been working two years on this book. So maybe if you email me and say, hey, I've got drops from a leaking tap. I want more drops. Maybe I'll repent and get on and finish this book. But mercy, the subtitle of this new book is going to be three of the words that are part of my message this morning. Mercy, mystery, mystery and messiology. We don't have the time to go into detail, but mercy is pretty well my favorite word. When people talk about me accomplishing this and accomplishing that, I just think it's mercy. I don't know how God has used a character like me. How this thing grew from three of us going to Mexico to 200,000 people serving with OM over these 55 years, 25,000 of whom approximately are in leadership in the body of Christ. We stopped counting 20 years ago when we had given the word of God face-to-face to to 1 billion people across the planet. How I lived on that ship and directed the ship ministry and OM at the same time, I can't figure out. How I had three children and didn't completely fail as a father and a husband, I can't figure out. And then living in India, starting that work there where we've reached half a billion people with the gospel, now have 3,000 churches, 110 schools which has been the passion of my life, India, where I lived for some years, all I can say is mercy. God working through the power and the grace of Jesus using all kinds of characters. Through all of this, I've had enormous doubts about the Christian faith. Sorry to confess that, but I almost lost my faith at university I was just struggling with certain things that didn't make any sense to me in the Bible. I was so helped by Billy Graham, who made this strong stand, my spiritual father, that the Bible was the word of God. And then I was set free one day from, by a Scottish theologian who said, Great faith is not in the absence of doubt. Great faith is often as somehow you keep walking. And what are the other options? Dr. Francis Schaeffer came into my life. Like a tornado out of heaven, pointing out the problems I would have if I stopped believing the Bible. I remember well listening to his tapes on that subject, and so here I am, sort of a doubting Thomas. And yet, my whole life, every day, has been built on the truth of this book, which includes the tr- toughest truth that is being greatly rejected by Amer- many American churches and British churches—that Jesus is the only way. John Stott, a close friend who God used in Britain in ways you cannot even imagine. You cannot imagine. But before he died, he shared that he felt the greatest struggle of the church was the exclusiveness of our message. Jesus is the only way. Whether they're Muslims, whether they're Hindus, whether they're nominal Christians, whether they belong to some cult, Jesus is the only way, and I thank you that your church has embraced that biblical concept with all the complexity and all the challenge that's involved. Mercy. And the fourth word is one I created myself. Messiology. You say, what in the world is that? Don't confuse it with missiology. Missiology is theology of missions. Messiology is a George Verwer invented word that doesn't exist it's based on a George Verwer proverb which will not get in the Bible where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together. Sooner or later, there's a mess. That's my experience for 60 years. Since that can become very depressing and very difficult, especially if you're in the middle of it, even more interesting when in my case you're actually caused it, we need to somehow become positive. Messiology is what our great merciful God can do in the midst of a mess. A lot of people are negative about things in America right now, huh? They say it's a mess. Big deal. Have you studied American history? I'm a fanatic student of American history. Close to 65 years of study. The nation has always been a mess. How is it doing when we practice slavery? How is it doing? Even in the, it's only been brought out in history recently that American Britain purposely in the Second World War had a strategy of annihilating as many civilians as possible. They claim to this day that's only the way they won the war. Some writers even say Germany in the end fought a cleaner war than America and Britain. I don't agree with that, but It's always been a mess. What did we do to the native population of this nation? What did we do during the days of segregation? Have you seen that new film, Salma? The nation's always been a mess. The White House has always been a mess. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I believe with all my heart, as far as the church As far as the kingdom, this is the greatest period in American history. I'll debate anybody in the country on the subject. This is a time in which we're seeing this phenomenal harvest. This is the greatest sending forth of missionaries in the entire history of the world. Go global with me for a moment. Just look at this globe. Forget about the problem you may feel there is locally in your own church. not true, those of you in this church, so I'm being generic when I say that. But globally, the light is greater across the world than any time in history. There is no comparison. Maybe 70 millions in China. 60 different areas where at least 1,000 Muslims are following Jesus. What are we going to say about Africa south of the Sahara and Sunni? What are we going to say about Latin America? I've been in 100 nations. I've witnessed it. Plus, I've studied history all parallel with what I've seen. This is a time of phenomenal global church growth, revival. Put any name on it you want. So we need to be praising it more. We should be positive. Why should Christians be negative? Of course we see the sadness. But that's been happening since Cain or Abel. Our whole theology is built on the reality of the sinfulness and the rebellion of mankind. And so this is a time to be thankful for what God is doing in our country. Of course this massive need for improvement. That's always been true. Study a little more history and not just one side. So messiology, I just give it to you. Maybe you never heard the word before. There's no copyright. I give it to you right now. I've had the most incredible feedback on this concept from Christian leaders all over the world. It's motivated me in my new book to have at least three chapters about it. And it should excite you if you feel like your life at times a bit of a mess like mine. Boy, you should just be jumping with joy this morning. And marriage, maybe you're not the perfect marriage. My wife and I, we were a Bible college marriage. You think we knew each other? Because of all the trouble and romance, I went on a two-year fast. No kissing, no dating, no girls. That's when I went to Mexico. I learned Spanish. I was kissing the pillow a little bit. Then I arrived at Moody. I left university. I arrived at Moody Bible Institute. Suddenly, I'm surrounded by born-again girls. You know, they're carrying big King James Bibles. Probably, if you try to kiss one of them, I hate with a big Bible, so I didn't kiss any. I was crying out for mercy. And then I went to rent an evangelistic film. The woman in charge of the films, it was too much. My romantic circuits blew. I moved in on the target, said something completely stupid a little quiet girl from Iowa never met any New York City loudmouths and uh, then I got her on a date And I said look probably nothing gonna happen between you and me but just in case hint, hint, I'm gonna be a missionary and if you marry me you'll probably be eaten alive by cannibals in New Guinea <laughs> for me it was love at first sight for her it was fright at first sight <laughs> but somehow I managed to mobilize my prayer forces God broke her heart. She began to think I was a man of God. She was committed to missions. She wanted to marry a missionary. So at least I got in that category. And then she began to think maybe I was a man of God. People were talking about me at Moody, how God was working in Mexico. Then she thought maybe I was a Bible teacher. I took advantage of that, gave her that key verse. Submit unto your husband as unto the Lord from Ephesians 5. She agreed to marry me. She agreed all my extremism, no spending money, no honeymoon. The marriage was just a quick thing at the end of the Sunday morning service and off to evangelize the world. And of course, I'm not going to rent an apartment. We're just living on the floor because it costs money in the back of this bookshop. And boy, hardly spending even money for food, was selling all of her possessions uh, to keep going. And boy, we just had such a tremendous marriage <laughs> for several weeks. <laughs> Then she read those other verses, (laughs) the whole chapter. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How are you doing, huh, from 1 to 10? Any of you 10s, I'd love to get you to autograph my Bible. You're 100% loving. That includes listening in all the time, every aspect of the Christian life. I'd love you to autograph my Bible. I have a page here, hypocrite, sign here. mystery, mercy, messiology. My next word, very quickly as we bring this to a close, is this great word, revival. Oh, wow, we're praying for revival. Wherever I go in the world, I meet people who pray for revival, and I love to see the Big Bang revivals. I've just been in Wales again. We had one there around 190. I guess around 1904 but I really believe we often make a mistake in this thing of revival because revival is firstly Jesus living in you. There's nothing greater than what happened to me in Madison Square Garden when the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus saved me. And I know you may think this is a boast. Forgive me. I've known that personal revival every single day since I experienced with Jesus. Revival includes knowing how to live in very Ordinary situations. One of my friends wrote a book on this subject, Jesus and Reality in the Midst of the Ordinary. And so I'd encourage you to realize if you're walking with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life, however small it may be, that is revival. Of course, we need to grow. Of course, We need to become stronger. That's why I'd urge you to pick up Roy Hessian's book, Calvary Road, about brokenness, about repentance, because they're the key to maintaining that joyful life of revival. I remember people criticizing Billy Graham, making it very clear that a Billy Graham meeting was not revival. They're playing word games. They're playing semantic games What Billy Graham did across this world, what happened through other people similar to him, that is revival. The word revival is not even in the Bible, so different people can make up what they want. Jesus living in us, in the midst of our struggles, our doubts, we repent, we break, we apologize. And if a character like me and my wife could be totally, completely faithful to one another for 55 years of marriage. With all these struggles I have and enormous lust problems, anybody can do it. Let's not give the enemy any more territory in regard to this great challenge. And then my seventh word is the word urgency. And, of course, we're out of time, and so I need to get with that word. But I just want to urge you to allow the Holy Spirit to give you a greater sense of urgency for the nations of the world. We're in the greatest time of church explosion, but about 40 nations and hundreds of people's groups have been left out. That's why we need, yes, even American missionaries as much as ever before. Don't fall for that idea that it can all be done by nationals. They are a major part of the work. Our work in India is mainly nationals, but that is not the rest of the world. There's 40 nations where almost nothing is started. You can't hire nationals if there are no nationals. And so we in America must continue to send missionaries short and long term. You can get those 40 nations on my website, George Verwer, top, georgeverwer.com. But the top 10, let me see if I can quickly remember them. North Korea, Tibet, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Tunisia, Turkmenistan, Somalia, Saudi Arabia. And there's another 30 that aren't quite that bad. Pray with us as we attempt, still, the vision that our work was built on to reach, working with others, everyone in the world with at least the gospel, at least once. Hudson Taylor said, if giving the gospel once is not enough, what can we say of not giving the gospel at all? And if we believe this, ever since I believed this as a baby Christian in the first couple of weeks after my conversion, I've had this sense of urgency, how I use my time, how I use my money. It comes on me when I wake up in the morning. It keeps me going till late at night serving him. I urge you to embrace radical discipleship, radical grace. Mix it with messiology. Make sure there's a lot of mercy and you. You also, at my ripe age of 76, will stand in front of your family or stand in front of a church and share the reality of Jesus every day and then look to being together with him for eternity. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the challenge of your holy word. We thank you for these powerful exhortations from the book of Acts and other verses that we've referred to. And by your grace, we embrace this radical lifestyle With all the mercy, all the messiology, all the grace, all the humanness that's involved with that. And we will not be discouraged. We will stay positive. We will somehow put our hand on the plow and never, never, never turn back. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.